Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to episode eight of Career Move Secrets. And today's guest is Stephen McDonough, who's a principal in Acardis in New York. And he has behind him a 30-year career in infrastructure and economics. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, thanks for um, asking me along to this. I'm looking forward to it. I, just, uh, I, I think we were talking previously, and I, this is a why not. And, and I, if I can offer any advice to anybody, I'm more than happy to do so. So thanks for Thanks for bringing me in to have a chat. Yeah, that's very kind of you to, uh, to to lend your experience. Now, I think it's really good that people get a view of of other people's careers. It's it's a great joy that I get to interview people and, and understand their career narrative, but I'm not sure that uh, other job seekers always get that uh, perspective. Um, I guess we're in, in, in interesting times. I'm wondering, you know, we hear on the news that New York is the epicenter of uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, pandemic. I, I wondered what life is like on the ground there. So, uh, yeah, I work in the greater New York area. So I actually live in New Jersey, which mm. is to many people, that's like an offshoot in New York. But New York is is a bit like London. It's the anchor. Mm. It's it's where a huge amount of economic activity. And when, in New Jersey, where I live, funny enough, New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the U.S. A lot of people don't know that. Mm. So I live in a um, very busy part of let's call it the suburbs for want of a better better term it's had a huge impact um the density in in new york city is far in excess of many cities around the world particularly in in the western world and it's had a massive impact um i use um the equivalent of trains that go into london commuter train from new jersey into new york very frequently those Mm. trains are empty um obviously you know coming from a transportation background that I kind of, these are the sort of things that are at the front of my mind, New York city transit, uh, ridership is down 95%, probably similar to what's happening in, in the UK at the moment. So it's having a massive impact in, in terms of the economy, but the reaction, uh, to that, it, the policies are different over here than you'll find in other parts of the world, including the UK. So there is a realization, however, that the economic impact is immense. Hmm. Um, but, what are you going to do? You've got to do something. And so different governments apply different policies in different ways. The other, the other difference to understand here in terms of um, reactions is that the different levels of government are perhaps a little bit different from people in or people in the UK would be mm. used to. So there's different, there's different political players having different influences. Mm. So, but the, the impact has been 
massive in an area of the country which is incredibly densely populated. Um, it's relatively quiet compared to to what it was, you know, two week, two, two months ago. Yeah, uh, absolutely, very similar here. Um, I guess you know what I want to, to to really get to is your your career history and and the the, the career moves that you've made. Because I think that's that's a really interesting story, particularly yours, having you know experienced um, the UK and the US and other mm. parts of the world as well. So, could you give us a sort of uh, you know a, a quick potted history of uh, of your background? Yeah, sure. So, um, after graduating uh, from college originally, I I just took on like um like a temporary job with the with the local council and I was looking around for a proper career job. And funny enough, if anyone knows the old evening standard, the newspaper, there was a, there was literally a four or five line advertisement in the evening standard, no bigger than the, the sort of end of my thumb, uh, with a phone number, and it was looking for somebody to be an analyst. Uh, and so literally that actually introduced me to the world of transportation. Um, it was for a company called actually called Ocean Shipping Consultants. I think they've been purchased by um, Posford Duvivier, who probably been purchased by somebody else in Holland by now. Um, but they they were essentially um, a company that produced market market reports for the for the um, for the maritime trade, shipbuilding world, shipping, and that sort of thing. Uh, and that was my introduction to analytics. Let's say they did a little bit of advisory work, but primarily it was uh, publishing, and that kind of as I say, introduced me into into transportation, and from then on, I've been working in infrastructure in one way or another for the last thirty years. So I moved on from from them into the into the real um, consultancy world, uh, and I tended to stick with the ports and maritime sector. Um, over the years, what that ended up being was um, a situation where I found myself working on assignments, pretty much not all over the world, but an extensive. Um, uh, coverage of the world, uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, the Middle East, uh, a lot of Europe, um, down into South America, and those were typical projects which would which I've been involved in multidisciplinary teams. Okay, so I'd be working with engineers, I'd be working with environmentalists, but I was looking at it from a from a trade perspective, from a traffic perspective, or whatever it, whatever it may be. So it was it was kind of had to be fleet of foot. I'd typically go into a country for. Two, two or three weeks and get as much information I could possibly could, whether it be for a public sector client or a private sector investor, and look at the, the business case for um, the development of, say, for example, a port. Um, for the public sector, it's more along the economic lines. So is this beneficial to society? So that's, that's really influenced me throughout my career in many ways, um, looking at this, the same project in, through different eyes. Um, so I, I was... I didn't live in those countries. I was anchored in the UK, but I'd, I'd venture out into those countries, every, depending on with, with, you know, contracts that we'd won. Um, and working for a, um, a British company that was investing in the US, and that was 12 years ago. Uh, and there was a lot of work being done for Texas Department of Transportation. They had, not so much at the moment because it's, it's, it's changed a little bit, but they have a, a very large P3 program, public-private partnership. We'd won a contract as a company. We'd we'd purchased an American company, but we'd won a contract in Texas um, as a JV, uh, and an opportunity came up um, to work on that project, but at the same time also to participate in development of the business, specifically in Texas, but the wider US. Um, I heard about this. There were no real candidates. Nobody was really being identified, and so I said, 
you know what, I'm interested in that. Um, and the, the comment was, really? I said, yeah, absolutely. It was, why not? Um, and I've got a number of kids. I've got five kids. And I said to my wife, should we go for this? She said, yeah, why not? And literally we did. We, we actually moved from, from the, the UK to Texas. My wife had been to the US before on vacation. My kids had never been to the US. And we moved lock, stock and barrel to Austin in Texas. And we've been in the US ever since. Um, about five years ago, I moved from Texas to the Northeast up, up where I am now, just outside of uh, New York City. The attraction there was the fact that, you know, as we said earlier on in the, in the discussion, it's a hugely densely populated area, lots of activity, but also um, quite old infrastructure, which hasn't been looked after particularly well. And that was the attraction to me, given that I work in the infrastructure environment or the environments in the infrastructure sector. The attraction was the fact that there are problems here in terms of moving a lot of people around very quickly uh, or moving freight for a densely populated region. So that was the attraction, the fact that New York City itself is a fantastic place to visit. Um, I'm not a tourist here anymore. So you've got to move stuff around. You've got to move people around. It's a problem. Um, and that was the attraction of moving up here. So that's a, a potted history of, of what I've done over the years, which has been tend to be more strategic advisory work, but working with very solid people who, who work in very specific sectors, whether it be, you know, bridge engineering or port engineering or whatever it, it may be. Yeah. So that's, that's where I come from. <laughs> and other than that first move, you, you, you've, you've, you've worked for, I think what, four or five companies, mm. the likes of, you know, how crow Jacobs and very large businesses mm. um uh, and today with uh with Acardis, another large business that i know what what has uh what has sort of facilitated those moves has that been a situation where you have applied for a job or is it some other means out of the ones you just mentioned the only one that i applied for and in fact it was my wife who found this job uh was with with Halcro many mm. years ago like 20 years ago um and she said, why not apply to this? And I said, well, they won't be interested in me. They're engineers or whatever it was. I didn't really know that much about Halcro. So yeah, that was the only job that I applied to. All the other jobs I've got, and I'm just sort of searching through the back of my head, have all been based on relationships. They've all been based on people I know. Mm. Uh, I don't believe I've actually applied for a job that's advertised. Um it's almost as if the relationship I have and the background I have is, is of value to those organizations. Mm. Okay. Organize, large organizations go through a process whereby you will apply, but that's because they have to follow a certain process. But generally speaking, the reason is because it's been based on relationships and what people know that I've been able to do in the past and the experience I bring. So you've been invited to, to come and speak to them. And has that, has that tended to be from an outside agent, somebody like me, uh, a headhunter, or has that been direct by uh, a person who works for that company? Uh, so the, the invitation, sometimes it's kind of, I've invited myself. Hmm. I, you know. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So you've, you, you've actually, rather than apply for anything, not knowing that there's a job there, you've, you've, you've worked your network. Pretty much. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not rabid about that. I'm kind of um, the sort of person who, it's maybe the wrong terminology, but I'll pay back. I'm not looking for something. Um, 
for example, I, I've I've had jobs based on jobs given offered to me, or rather, <clears throat> well, the conversation started through me asking advice of somebody else, mm. and I've said, oh, "This is the situation. What do you think about that?" Excuse me. <clears throat> I think and so right. uh, and on that basis, you know, people people have uh, generated a, a conversation which has gone down a certain path. Um, I have applied. I have applied for jobs actually mm. um, that have been advertised, and I haven't got any of those. <laughs> right. This, this is quite a typical story. It's it's amazing. I, I find, you know that the, the the typical you know the traditional route of, of uh, advertising a job and then people applying for it that's not how people how people particularly more senior people it's not yeah. how you get a job um you know a recruiter that looks at your cv and i've seen your cv in the past we've worked together in the past and yeah. you know they wouldn't necessarily understand what it what it means uh, or or what your background is um you're, you're likely to to sort of you know, fall through the cracks uh, in, a, in an application. Mm. But somebody who knows you personally uh, is much more likely, as you say, to understand the value you bring. And, and that's how that's how many, many more people move in what I call the hidden job market rather than mm. in the, the advertised job market. Well, the, just, just to add to that, Tony, is that, as I said, I'd like to reiterate that sometimes these jobs didn't even exist yes. at all. It's not, even the, yeah. it's not even that they're hidden, right? It's like if somebody has value. I, I mean, I, I, I speak to people as well. Um, I've got people in mind that I would like to employ, you know, purely because they're great at what they do, right? But, but there's no specifically there's no specific job for them. Particularly in the consulting world, it's quite difficult because um, you se- you sell your time effectively, right? That's what you do. You're selling it, of course. You know you're selling your knowledge and all the rest of it with it, but you're effectively you're, only, you're, only, you're selling that person. Um, and so if there isn't any, a lot of com- companies will uh, run shy run shy of that because they want to have a project ready to go or a big assignment ready to go to put people in there. But sometimes, just sometimes, there are people that you feel you could bring in, even if you've got nothing for them at the moment. You know, mm. and that those people do exist. I find it happens all the time. In, in, I, I always argue in, in the in the role that I play as a headhunter. Yes, I, I probably spend most of my time working on very specific assignments, but uh, you know maybe that's eight percent of my time. The other twenty mm. percent, I work with people like you, as we have in the past, even and I, I I find good people who I think have got very interesting skills that are relevant for a target group of companies. I make an approach, and more often than not, they they will meet those people, even if there's no role. Uh, in mind. And once that relationship starts to develop, a process develops, and in many cases, a role is created for an individual. You know, that's how yeah. that's how recruitment often works. And <laughs> I, I'm not sure that people necessarily understand that. And that's that's part of what my sort of Career Move Secrets course is, is all about, really. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, not quite sure I can add to that, but you're absolutely right. I've had situations whereby I've accepted somebody's invitation purely to hear what they have to say. So one of the things I would say is always always be prepared to listen to people. I, I'm not a job hopper, right? So if you look, if I put my resume in front of you, you will see there's a couple of occasions where I had fairly short periods, but that's because of specific circumstances. Okay, like for example, I even had 
with a couple of other guys, I had my own business for a short period of time. That was the most expensive MBA I've ever earned. Um, but it was, but it, it came down. It, the, I, I liquidated the company. I said to the guys, I said, we've got to liquidate this. We, we can't make this work. <clears throat> and it was all down to cash flow, right? So we had plenty of work on, but we just didn't have the cash coming in. Um, and I, was, I wasn't that young at the time. I was relatively young. But the thing is, is that have an open mind, but also be prepared to make, I don't know. I, when, when I make a decision, I make a, I make a decision. Okay, so like, you know, like the whole move to the US, it was like a decision was made. I'm going to do it. And it's like full in, 100%. You know, you, it's like you can't be like a little bit pregnant, can you? You know, you just, you've got to, you got to go for it, right? You are, it is what it is. And if, if anything, if anything in your gut, and this sounds, doesn't sound very scientific or very business-like, but anything in your gut is a, is a, is a red flag, then my advice is, don't do it because I've made the mistake where my gut has told me um, not to do it and I've still done it. And that's, that's been a mistake. I, th- I think where we're at in the world, there's going to be lots of people, you know, in their first venture or, you know, a, a venture of their own, uh, which for no fault of their own, just like in your situation, it, it, there's going to be a lot of business failures out there and people coming back into the market. There's going to be lots and lots of redundancies. I mean, we know we hear, in the states, I think is it one in six people are, are unemployed now. So. Yeah, I think it's the official figure is something like fourteen point seven percent or something like that, which is obviously less than what it really is. Yes, but it's ridiculously high, which which makes for a very you know competitive job market, um, and for some people, you know, an experience that they're not used to, i.e., job job hunting. Mm. What, what what advice would you give to people who are perhaps in that situation? Um, yeah. What, what, what would you, what you, you've obviously, you've made moves in a certain way. I'm interested in, you know, what you would advise people to do if they find themselves in that situation. Yeah. Okay. So there's the, there's the immediate situation, which is something that needs to be resolved. And of course it all depends on your circumstances, your personal circumstances, how long you, you can hold out. But at the end of the day, like a business, you want, you want an income or a revenue. Okay. So there's an immediate aspect of that. Really what you should be doing, and I'll come back to your question in a second, really what you should be doing is keeping in touch with your network on a professional basis. Some some of the some of your network are really good friends, right? Some are acquaintances and some are just purely business acquaintances. So one of the things is that you should really be doing is keeping in contact with your network anyway. So the situation now is assuming that you have been keeping in contact with your network and you're on good terms with you, whether you're business type people or, or your friends, don't be shy in reaching out to them, right? Don't be shy in talking to them and tell them what your situation is. The truth will out and people, people know when you're telling the truth and then not. Okay. So if you, if you start talking to people and there's no stigma associated um, with being made redundant, for example. So that would be my advice is start calling upon the people that you trust um, in the organizations that you consider a sort of place you would like to work. Okay. Yes. Have a target list. I, I agree. There you go. Yeah. Have a target list and, and then, and then work that target list, find out who, you know, speak to them, um, let them make them aware of your availability and, um, and do everything you can to, to highlight the value you can bring. Absolutely. So it's, it does actually come down. It does come down to relationships. We go, you know, we backtrack what we said just five or 10 minutes ago. Um, apart from that, those two jobs I mentioned very, very first one in my career and then 
joining Halcrow, I, I've never um, applied for a job through the internet or whatever mm. for many, many years. It's all been jobs from, based on people I know. And I really think that now's the time for people um, to start using their network in a way that gives them a future. It's all about networking. It really is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, jump if, if you go down the route that you know today is prescribed, which is you'll find a job through the internet. You, you I, most people are sorely disappointed. Lots, you know, they think it's easy to just click and apply, but of course, you can do that many, many times without any feedback, without any uh, interest. For, even yeah. if you're, even if you're highly relevant, the, the numbers are crazy in terms of you know your two hundred and fifty to one shot. Uh, for, for most jobs. And I think moving forward, you might even be, you know, 500 to one shot in, in the new, in the new economy that we have uh, post COVID-19. Mm. So that the odds are, the odds are very, very poor. It's not the right method to get you in front of people. You need to use your network um, mm. and you need to be savvy about that way of finding a job. And as I say, Karim Moose Secrets is, uh, is all about um, giving people uh, the information, the tools uh, and the techniques to do that. Mm. One thing I find is um, is also I actually find LinkedIn really good. Okay, I don't. I, I'm not a social media. Okay, I'm a boomer. All right, fair yeah. enough. However, I've got no particular penchant for Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Mm. My kids are amazed I can even say these things. Right, they say these <laughs> words. I do use Twitter mm. um, to read. I never yes. tweet, as it were. But LinkedIn, I'm actually pretty active. Yeah. And, you know, I, I comment on stuff. Um, I post stuff. I've written a few articles, but I actually find posting um, more interest in terms of getting a conversation going with people. And I've yeah. expanded my network, which isn't like 30,000 people or whatever, like whatever, you know, it's got, it's very refined as it were, or defined. So but I find, yeah. I find LinkedIn a really good way as long as, unfortunately there's been some unprofessionalism creeping in, you know, cats watching TV type, whatever you know whatever mm. um which you can very easily brush past but on the whole the majority of stuff on linkedin is actually dedicated towards the professional world and i actually i actually would actually say to people use it as much as you can even if you just even if you're just reading stuff it keeps you up to, up to speed with, with the with the business world I couldn't agree more. I think it's the medium today for for navigate. Not necessarily. I mean, there is a job board there, and you can use that to apply. But I, I would I would be much more strategic in my approach to, to LinkedIn, and I would be much more direct and proactive uh, mm. rather than reactive to to what other people are doing. And 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 definitely, I agree with you. That is that is a big part of it. Final question, Stephen. You know, you, you've obviously got the background uh, that I really like and enjoy. Lots of people in my network are, are economists by background. You know, uh, which which provides a real uh, analytical framework for thinking through issues, a bit like you know the issues we're having today. Mm. Uh, and you've got that background in trade. Just, just, I know this is a, and I'm asking lots mm. of people this question because I think it's just it's just highly topical. What do you see our sort of way out of this crisis? And do you see a, a decent economic bounce back post recession going forward. How, what's got, what's it going to be like coming back in terms of the economy? So this reminds me of what was it was 12 years ago or so, actually just when I moved to the U S when there was the, the great recession. And I remember everyone talking at the time about U shape or V shape or W shape. Right. And you know what? Um, everybody disagreed or no, everybody had different opinions. What's going to happen 
what's going to happen in this one is, you know what, I've got the answer. I don't actually know. So I'm not standing up like a politician and saying it's going to be minus 14% for the rest of this year. And it's going to bounce back to um, by 15% next year. Well, if you do that, you're going to get back to where you were in January of this year. Okay. That's, that's what that statement says. If it goes down 15, comes up 15, you are where you are. I've got, I've got no clue. Um, I wouldn't want to go on the record as being some kind of um, forecaster of post-COVID economy. What I do see is it's going to stagger along and we're going to have, we're going to have repeated peaks and troughs. That's how I see it. Um, How big are those peaks and troughs? I don't know because again, I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I I listen to Anthony Fauci. He's the one who, who talks sense over here, at least from the health perspective. I don't know what the equivalent is in the UK at the moment, but He's the guy that people actually trust. Patrick Valence, yeah, with his eyes, yeah. There you go. So you got your equivalent there. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see. I see it being a, um, a, a rather elongated period of instability and uncertainty, which doesn't sound very nice, does it? And it doesn't sound very um, optimistic, but maybe it's the old one of being a little bit realistic. Don't know, but I can't see it bouncing back massively overnight. No, I agree. Well, you know, on that on that note, I, I suggest that we 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 finish. But I, I really really appreciate your your time, Stephen. Um, and uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope things bounce back in New York quickly. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Tony. I look forward to. It. I actually miss going into into the city. It's a beautiful yeah, city. It is. It is. I was there last year. Beautiful. Cheers, Stephen. All the best. Take care. All righty. Thanks a lot. So another interesting career narrative that. Uh, doesn't include many job applications, and yet uh, several moves have been made and a career forged, mostly by leveraging a network. And that's something that I think is uh, is really something that we should take away from this, particularly also the fact that um, in many of those instances where Stephen has made a move, there wasn't actually a job to go to. He actually created the role simply by reaching out to his network in an appropriate way. And if this is something that interests you um, and you would like to learn more about how you could do that in your own situation, please do look at my Career Move Secrets premium course, which is at careermovesecrets.com. Um, you can also take um, take a, a job search masterclass there for free, which um, which is also available on the same site. So please do have a look at that. Again, if this is interesting to you and you want to hear more Career Move Secrets stories, uh, subscribe to this podcast as there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon. 